0: You're listening to The 10 Bagger Podcast, presented by The Daily Gold. Join us as we uncover tomorrow's 10 baggers today. And now here's your host, Jordan Royburn. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of The 10 Bagger Podcast this is episode number twenty four and with me today is returning guest Gwen Preston. She is the resource maven and Gwen, you know, as we get started here, we were talking about you know there's a Fed meeting, the Fed decision is coming out, but you know i I don't know how you feel about that stuff, but for me, I feel like spend spending too much time on that is really a waste of time. What people should be doing is Researching companies, listening to podcasts like these, listening to smart people like you—that's a better use of their time than trying to figure out you know, when they're going to hike rates or how much and when this is going to happen. Blah blah blah. I—I I know I'm on my soapbox here, but that—that's my first question. <laughs> how, how do you feel about all this?
1: I mean, it's a great question to start with because it's literally like the Fed decision is sort of happening while we're recording this this interview, so um, it's very pertinent. Um, I mean. Okay, you take a step back, and clearly investment decisions um, have to be based in a fundamental context that makes sense, right? So you have to have reason to believe that gold is in an uptrend, not a downtrend, if you're going to invest in gold companies. So obviously from that perspective, we need to understand what's going on with interest rates, with the economy as a whole. So it clearly matters. But I'm totally with you that like the obsession has gotten very tiresome over the last little while. I mean, yeah, we are at like a moment in time, right? We've had this ridiculously accommodative Federal Reserve for 12 years um, through through a variety of things. And that is changing. And so it is significant. But I certainly, I mean, don't spend my time obsessing over whether it's going to be 25 basis points or 50 basis points. What I need to know is my outlook over the next six sort of 12 and longer months about whether gold i think will go up or down i believe it will go up and that's where we are you know if i see you know major signals changing and that you know whether it's inflation or growth or or um what it might be and that changes my outlook on gold then sure you know that's important and then i'll need to spend some time with that but i you're totally right that as long as you're Perspective is set as long as you understand where you're coming from and why you're in the space as a whole, then you need to spend your time figuring out how to act on that perspective. So that means picking stocks um, as opposed to obsessing over the perspective. I'm totally with you on that.
0: Yeah, I mean, picking stocks, what I should have said is spending time trying to find 10 baggers, and that's why I have you on <laughs> because last time I had you on, I think it was November 2019 Visla resources was one of your picks and you know I looked it up and, and from the date of the interview not quite a 10 bagger but I think it was a 9 bagger if you would have bought it in early if you would have bought it during the covid crash you would have a 10 bagger so congratulations <laughs> on that um,
1: thanks um,
0: just like give me a quick follow up on that just for like a minute of of what's going
1: on for sure. I was actually just writing about um, Visla when we when we started this call because they put out some news last week on, on the Coppola vein, which is one of the vein, newer veins that they've discovered at their Panuco project. I mean, really this is a story of a, of a team you know, geology-wise, starting with a guy named Charles Funk who knows Mexico very well um, and he identified this opportunity. There was a lot of back work that happened with putting together a land position that had been very fractured um, and then they They really leaned in and they they had timing on their side for sure. They were able to get this company going when there was money available and interested. And so they could get out there with a significant exploration effort sort of right off the bat. And then the rocks also helped by yielding up a really fantastic Silver vein District, and so within that they now have a few centers of gravity, and in those centers of gravity, they just published their first resource estimate um and it you know it blew the socks off expectations, you know they'd been guiding sixty million silver equivalent ounces. It ended up being um, almost fifty percent more than that, so that's great. But I think what really matters here is this thing's growing fast, the rocks keep yielding up more discoveries, so like what I was writing about just when you called was this coppola vein. Now the coppola vein had had only eight holes into it when they did that resource estimate, yet it represented a quarter of the ounces in that estimate. So that just gives you a suggestion of how rich that vein is and it's a newer discovery. And they they have a long, long list of targets yet to test in the Panuco project. So this thing will continue to grow as quickly as it has been growing for the next while. Like the resource estimate that came out two weeks ago is already out of date. This thing's going to keep growing. Um, and, you know, high-grade, over-mineable widths in Mexico, silver, like that's a valuable, valuable asset, especially in a, in a rising precious metals market. So I think this thing, it doesn't have another 10-bagger ahead, but does it have a double or triple um, if, we get, if we get the kind of market that I think we're going to get over the next few years? Yeah, I think it probably does.
0: Okay, and that's a good segue. The kind of market we are going to get, you know, I, I – just one, one question I have for you, which uh, let's think about 12 to 18 months, which commodity or commodities do you think have the best chance with respect to the companies to offer 10 bagger potential? So I'm thinking
1: 12 to 18 months, yeah, 12 to 18 months. Um, ooh, that's a, that's a good question. I would say um, gold for sure. Gold is the most likely um, the most reliable in that uh, of, of the options out there, and I mean we could dive at depth and we won't um, into into the rationale there, but we're in a negative real rate environment. rates are going to hike, but you know are they actually going to slow inflation? all of that stuff supports gold. We also have a very strong safe haven argument right now. you know I think gold um, gold is well supported in all of those areas. If you want to branch out into some that are a little bit um, different, I think uranium. I really am bullish on uranium in the next little while. Obviously, that move has already started, so um, you know you're not late. But you know you haven't caught the first part of the wave if you invest now. But it's it's underway, and I think um, we get we have yet to see dramatic investor inflow into uranium. We've certainly seen some. Those who are already Um, engaged, predisposed, knowledgeable of. I've already certainly turned towards, but I think there's um, the bigger flood of interest is yet to come with uranium. So I think that there's certainly opportunity there. When I was scribbling down my list of of companies that I might mention as 10 beggars, there is a uranium company on that list. And then copper. Now, copper is at risk of recession, right? And there's no doubt that the recession risk is higher Given the Russian situation and what that might do to growth globally and staglation concerns and all of that, so copper has its risks. but the bit when you mention eighteen months as a time frame, I'm like, well, the green energy revolution is very, very real. The lack of copper to feed that energy revolution is very real. And so if you can pick a good copper discovery story, and ride it for 18 months, I think you have a, a good potential for 10 baggers there as well um, because because of that green energy revolution.
0: Okay. A uh, uh, follow-up to that or no follow-up. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm thinking about, because uh, you're, you're mostly focused on exploration. Do you think that is going to continue to be the best category to get 10 baggers? Or, I mean, is it possible... I don't know how bullish you are on gold and silver. Is it possible that you could, a junior producer could have a chance or even a developer? I mean, there's so many Mm -hmm. options. There's so many places you can go. I mean, how would you, or is it just company specific? I mean, if we're, if we're trying to find a 10 bagger, should we focus on one of these areas or is it just company specific?
1: It's a good question. So I think, um, I think my answer for that goes back to the individual um, and it, it sort of starts with how engaged you are with your portfolio. And there's no right or wrong answer here. I'm not saying that you, that people should be more engaged with their metals and mining portfolio. People have jobs and lives and things. Um, but the exploration side is volatile, right? Like if if a, if a drill hit upon which a lot of weight was put, if it misses, well, you know, that's that. Um, so, you got to be pretty engaged with your exploration portfolio. You got to pay attention. Um, it does, if a discovery hits, a discovery is clearly the fastest way and most reliable, if it happens, there's a big if there, <laughs> way of getting to a 10 bagger, right? Um, but the market that's going to be coming down the pipes, um, I think, can give you. 10 baggers might be a bit aggressive. 5 baggers for sure on the developers single asset operators especially cuz they have that takeout potential. So the takeout, you know, a takeout can happen can give you a 50% upside in an instant, right? As soon as that news hits cuz that's what the premium is. So I think that this market will offer that. Um and it sort of just comes back to the person and how engaged you want to be with your portfolio because uh, the explorers require you to pay attention and not everybody to be blunt has the time or inclination to pay attention to their portfolio every day and that's okay um so if, if you can't then maybe you just lower your <laughs> lower your goal slightly from 10 bagger to something a little lower and then feel great about investing in the developers, the single asset operators, um, the, those who are taking an initial resource and growing it to a PEA, you know, and it's a good asset, you could, you could play in that world instead.
0: Okay, I have one follow-up on, uh, you're talking about exploration. Okay, the word discovery. So I was talking mm-hmm. to Kai Hoffman about this. As a technical analyst, you know, we see Twitter in various places you know gold moves up ten bucks or silver's up thirty cents, and everybody loves calling it a breakout just because it went ab- up <laughs> went ab- it went above you know some line of resistance. Yeah. And Kai made the point. It's like, yeah, it's like juniors with discovery. It's like you see discovery in all these headlines, and I mean that's really true. you know every mm-hmm. you know if you find you know it doesn't matter if you find a tiny bit of gold or it's some great discovery over twenty five meters. I mean, for yeah. just for the layman in the audience who don't have the expertise that you do, I mean, how can we distinguish between something that's a real discovery and something that it's really not a discovery, but they're just calling it that?
1: Oh, that is, I wish, I so wish that there was a really easy answer to that, right? Because, I mean, it's a really good question. The word discovery absolutely gets thrown around left and right. It comes down to what's happened on that particular project before. And so if it's, you know, uh, just if it's a zone of mineralization that was known in the 60s and 70s, but then got forgot, forgotten about for years and then a company finally has picked it up again or consolidated it and drills into it, that's not a discovery. It's it's It could be a valuable um, rebirth of... Um, of a known zone, right? And there could be a lot of upside there, but it's not a discovery because it's different to discover something new than it is to um, reignite something that was known before. So, I mean, it really comes down to whether the team is testing an area that hasn't been tested before. So when you would talk about copper, for instance, like Kodiak is a good example. They made a new discovery yes, there had been drilling in the area before. The drilling hadn't gone deep enough to show that there was anything economic at their project, which is in south southern BC. Mm-hmm. They drilled into the first economic mineralization at that asset, and I would say that that's a discovery. Um, I mean, Visa, if we go back to our previous example, sure, there'd been mining in that area before, so they didn't discover silver on the Panuco project. But what they did was discover and are continue to demonstrate that there's a heck of a lot, that there's a, a district of silver mineralization. there's scale and grade and width, so it can be so much more than it was. There's It's absolutely all shades of gray. There's no easy answer for that question. Um, in hindsight, it's obvious because the share price jumps. <laughs> this discovery <laughs> happened when the share price jumped. <laughs> but that's not a useful answer for anybody, is it? <laughs>
0: Yeah, I mean it's it's really difficult. And discovery sounds so much better. Oh, totally, from a right. from a marketing standpoint. And uh, yeah. you know, I I apologize for the lack of any uh, organization to these questions. I don't know if they're flo- I don't know if they're flowing or not. But another thing I wanted to ask you about. So with respect to ten baggers, how do you look at pre discovery and post discovery? Because we're using the word discovery quite a bit. I mean, do you obviously pre discovery? It, it goes back to what you were talking about where. You know, you really have to be, um, you know, those situations, you would have to be a lot more involved than, you know, post-discovery, perhaps. But, but how do you look at pre-discovery and post-discovery?
1: Yeah, another great question. So, again, if you look back at the share price chart of a company that's done well, then you're like, oh, well, I wish I'd gotten in there, right? And the there is always pre-discovery. Because the first hole into a new zone is always going to attract attention, the thing is there's a lot of risk um, after that. And so what the to sort of distill it down, the risk, if you if you hit a really nice hole, a discovery hole, you've set the bar really high, and it's hard to follow that. So there's actually significant risk of downside, When one when a company releases follow up holes to a discovery hit, if the discovery hit was really good. And so, let alone the risk that they don't hit it all in the first place, right, which is the always there risk when you invest in pre discovery explorers, because the vast majority of them don't make dramatic discoveries. So the amount of risk in pre-discovery is very real. And I emphasize that because, like I say, when you look back at a share price chart, you're like, oh, well, obviously I should have invested there. Well, it wasn't obvious. It was very risky. And the downside from that first spike was very real and all of that. That's why the post-discovery opportunity is a really valid one. So, you know the thing about it is that for all of these decisions whether it's pre-discovery or whether it's after the first hole you need to have some good geologic knowledge and that's the hardest thing right you need to be able to understand what the hole hit what it told us what it didn't tell us where they're going next what the how the topography and rock type and all of the data that's been gathered about the area tells us about what else there might be beyond that one hole if you can pull together that information and you step away from it and you're like, okay, I think that that was the first hole into what's going to get better or the first hole into something that has real scale. Or, you know, I think that this is just the start getting in at that point has real value. The flip side though, is that sometimes, like you say, people announce what they call a discovery and really they were drilling down the guts of a narrow pipe and they knew it. Maybe they were twinning an old hole and they knew it, and so that first hole is the best one, and things afterwards are crap. And we've all seen share price charts that did that as well, right? A huge price spike that came off almost as steeply because the reality wasn't there. So um, I'm not trying to be like a super downer, but at the end of the day, there's a lot of risk of missing if you invest in pre-discovery because there's just a there's a lot more hits than there are misses. No, I I said that totally backwards. There's a lot more misses (laughs) than there are hits in the exploration world. That's an absolutely true statement that any of us will stand behind any day, right? Um, So there's a lot of misses. So getting in after the first hit is a really good option, but you just have to um, either know your geology or, or have someone who you can sort of trust to pull together, like to look at the geology and decide whether... This is the start of something good? This has the, this is likely to be the start of something good, or whether this is not likely to be the start of something good. Um, and investing after that first hit, if you're in the first camp, um, can be a really good option. Sorry, that was a super long answer.
0: No, that's that's this <laughs> very important because no, this is very important stuff. Um, yeah, so with post discovery, I mean, one follow up to that, I know this is this is probably going to be really difficult to answer, but how how does one distinguish between you have a post discovery where it was where you're talking about they just they knew something was there they drilled it they called it a discovery then there was nothing after that how do you distinguish between that scenario and the scenario of yeah this company actually made a discovery but you know they haven't really found anything since then they've been doing you know doing various work and drilling it hasn't really moved the share price but there's still big potential i mean ha- how do you distinguish between those and find you know the second scenario? How can you find those situations where there actually still is really good potential there, even though they haven't yet built on that initial discovery?
1: Yeah, um, probably. This is it, it takes some experience uh, in listening to pitches, but I go back to the people here and what story they're telling. So if they are really drilled into whatever twins an old hole, or they knew there was like some narrow pipe of mineralization and they just drilled into it to get a splashy number so that they could, you know, boost their share price, raise money and to be blunt, pay themselves a bunch or whatever. Um, then the story just won't have substance, right? Like they'll, they'll keep referring back to, A few pieces of maybe historic information or you know, a geophysical survey that they haven't, you know, that hasn't done anything else for them, the story will be thin. Whereas, if there's really still potential, the story is thick, and by that I mean there's a bunch of layers of data there, and they're working through that data. Geology is an iterative process, right? Like, you got to try this, you got to figure out. What the geophysics actually meant by drilling the hole, and then you got to reinterpret things based on what comes out of that hole, and then you got to do it to another form of geophysical response, and then you got to layer in all the other stuff that you know, like the topography, the lidar surveys, the structures, and historical information. Like it's really iterative, and you learn with every step. And if you are, if a team is actually in that process then it's then the story has substance there's a bunch of data that's being worked through there's other data that they're seeking to add so that they can clarify the picture and they have clear rationale for the targets that they still want to test right so it really has to do with how much meat is there in the story and when it's a crappy story then there's not going to be a bunch of meat like they'll just keep sort of going back to some you know thin pieces of some thin ideas um, that don't hold up.
0: Well, I would say uh, not, not, not to make a joke, but I mean that you're giving us a lot of meat in this interview for sure. <laughs> I mean, this, this is, this is very important stuff. Uh, I hope the listeners got that before they fast forward to this point, where I'm going to make you give us some <laughs> stock picks and some potential 10 baggers. Cause I know that's what people really care about. But this other stuff is very important as well. But moving on from that, Gwen, do you have a company or two that you think could be a 10 bagger or at least close to it that you're willing to share with our audience?
1: Absolutely. So I'm actually going to name, and hopefully this isn't annoying, but I'm actually going to name three because they're in very different categories. And so it's partly just to cover my own ass, right? Because <laughs>
0: it's, it's not annoying. It's fantastic. So everybody get their pencils my and notepads out.
1: Um, Okay, so everybody knows I'm pretty bullish on uranium. I think that delivering a uranium discovery into this market would be a good way of getting a 10-bagger. And so there are, uh, you know, the uranium equity, the number of uranium stocks is still pretty small. It's grown for sure in the last year as the market has come back to life, but it's still pretty small. Um, And so there's not that many groups out there doing early stage work on projects that are ready for drilling, like that are sort of at the stage, ready to yield up a discovery. So I'm going to name Fortune Bay. It's F-O-R on the venture. Um, They're known, if you know them as a gold company, that's because they've been a gold company for a long time. They have this gold fields project in Northern Saskatchewan. It's interesting. It's small, but it's high grade. It's like PFS level. It's got some upside. That's the gold project. That's fine. I think it gives them some options down the road, some fundamental value, all those sorts of things. The reason I like the company though is because there's some real uranium geologists there who can't be, no one can be a uranium geologist for their entire career because uranium is far too up and down, bear and bull market for that. So you got to move into other things <laughs> when uranium's crap for a decade. So there's some really good uranium geologists in the company. And they basically realized that on the western half of their gold field project, there's some really good uranium um, data. And then just a bit west of that, there was another property that was available also with some really interesting uranium, um, historic uranium results. So Fortune Bay will um, start exploring, like start work on those uranium opportunities. Um, it's like underway right now. And so I think there's an opportunity there for a uranium discovery. Like I say, the back work's done by some major companies in the previous market. The stuff got forgotten. So I think that could work. Um, high risk because it could also not work. um, But that's a uranium opportunity that I'll outline. On the copper front, this is a stock I already mentioned, and you may, it sort of fits into our pre and post discovery conversation, although this is a little bit farther down the line. It's Kodiak. And I know Kodiak has already delivered a major porphyry discovery and the gate zone. Everybody knows about it. Who cares about copper porphyries? The reason that I'm naming it now is because this year, sure, they're going to do some drilling to keep expanding gate. But what they're really doing is testing three or four other very good looking, very similar um, targets on the same project. And so this remains a discovery story. And now it's supported by the fact that we already know that there's an economic porphyry right there. And they can often happen together. And all the data that they collected on that gate zone, now they know what to look for, right? It's like a fingerprint. They know what to look for right in the area. And they're going to be testing uh, four other targets on their property. And the, the analogs here are like Philo mining, right? Philo was a long slog. They had a porphyry for a while, but their market cap was just whatever, 100 million bucks. Kodiak's 84 million bucks today. Until they, guess what? hit you know hit into multiple discoveries and then one of them had some really really good grade and now i don't know what philo's trading at today but it's like one and a half billion or more like the the upside if you get some significant scale of really good copper porphyry mineralization these things get become very valuable very quickly um so Kodiak, I think, has that opportunity over the next year or two um, because of the fact that they're still discovery focused. They're not just going to keep growing the gate zone. They're going to they're discovery focused. And then one from a little bit left field, um, it's a bit of a play on the Russian situation, is uh, in the fertilizer world. And I'm going to name Ariane Phosphate, which is D A N. Um, I think that fertilizer is going to become increasingly important over the next few years. Um, for lots of reasons. I think that the Russian situation is going to cause some food insecurity. Uh, I think that inflation is also going to cause food insecurity. Um, I think that demand for fertilizers was already on the up and up. I think that Russia and Ukraine, Russia produces a lot of fertilizer that suddenly is becoming unavailable. I think that there's a price spike ahead, even though fertilizer prices have increased a lot over the last year. I think there's a price spike ahead yet for fertilizer. And I think Ariane has a uniquely good project in that in the phosphate part of that world it's in Quebec it's completely permitted for construction it's big it's like a 50-year mine life it's um got good grade it's got good metallurgy um they've done offtake agreements like they've they've done the hard grind to demonstrate that this thing's real um and uh, it's you know up a double in the last six months because of that rising interest in fertilizer, but I think this thing could get exciting um, over the next year as uh, as things that are unfortunate um, start to transpire in our in our understanding of food. And even if those unfortunate things don't happen in a dramatic way. I don't think the world's gonna need less food. So I think fertilizer, the increase in fertilizer needs is only gonna continue. And I think Ariane's gonna stand out as those, as that becomes a sector at the fore um, of investor interest. So those are the three I'm gonna mention, Ariane, Kodiak, and Fortune Bay.
0: Uh, Would you mind giving the symbols?
1: Sure, so Ariane is D-A-N, Kodiak is K-D-K, and Fortune Bay is F-O-R.
0: Okay. Thank you so much for that, Gwen. And uh, before I let you go, please tell our listeners about the work you do at Resource Maven and how they can subscribe.
1: Oh, sure. Thanks. Um, I publish a weekly newsletter about what I'm doing with my money in the metals and mining space. So uh, it's under the banner Resource Maven. It's called the Maven Letter. It comes out every Wednesday, very late on Wednesdays by the time I ever get it done. And if you would like to learn more about it or sign up for a free trial, you can do that at resourcemaven.ca.
0: Okay, great. Thank you so much for coming on, Gwen. Really enjoyed our conversation and uh, look forward to having you back over the months ahead.
1: Thanks so much for having me. It was great to chat.
0: Thank you for listening to the Ten Bagger Podcast presented by The Daily Gold. For premium coverage of precious metals and the best junior mining companies, visit thedailygold.com forward slash premium.